our God is a God who crosses borders, who is not limited by one land or people, but is continually reaching beyond the borders that we like to draw. But God is not content with simply crossing those borders for us. Instead, God wants to teach us how to cross borders together. Because God continually chooses to work through people, not merely overriding us, but stirring us up to act as God would act. So God is sending God's people to cross borders in both of our biblical stories today. In the first, a young Israelite woman leans on her faith in God to send her oppressor, Naaman, to Israel to be healed. Despite her mistreatment, she extends God's love beyond her borders. In the second, the disciples are sent ahead of Jesus into territory he has not yet visited to spread the good news of the kingdom of God. In this reading, the disciples are only sent across borders into the next town, but we know that they will be sent across much firmer borders to the ends of the earth. God sends us out of our comfort zones, and this is because God works through us as people. And the reason for that is this. The kingdom of God cannot be spread apart from the people of God because there is no other way for love to be shared. Our faith is inherently relational. The kingdom is not a set of creedal statements for us to think about and assent to. It's not something we can send out over email and we can click yes or no. The kingdom of God is seen in the body of Christ, in us gathered as a people, experiencing God together and inviting others into that experience. When Jesus sent out the 70, he didn't give them a scroll with a list of beliefs for people to sign off on. Our creeds do become important to us after we believe. They can help us to organize our thoughts and beliefs. But belief comes first through an encounter with God. And more times than not, that encounter is mediated by God's own people. Think back to your own experiences. As I think about mine, my encounters with God have happened through the people who love me. And through these experiences that we're, though these experiences that we're calling to mind right now are full of joy because they're times that we saw God in people we love, it doesn't mean that all the encounters we have or are called to have will always be easy because God will call us across our borders to people we aren't sure we like, let alone love. We have to remember that although the story of Naaman being healed turns out well, there are many uncomfortable borders being crossed. 
Jesus actually references this story in the beginning of Luke. You can find it in Luke 4. And it makes the people that he's speaking to angry, angry enough to try to toss him over a cliff because Naaman isn't an Israelite. Because God chooses to help those outside of Israel while there are still plenty of people inside of Israel that needed help. That makes people angry. In fact, God is helping an enemy of Israel by helping Naaman. Because that is the truth about Naaman. Naaman is a general in the army of the enemy. He serves the king of Aram, who only a few verses later will be attacking the Israelites. When we draw our borders, we'd like to put Naaman on the outside, far away from the grace of God. But God doesn't allow us that luxury. Now in our story, we don't get to hear what Elisha is going through with God before issuing the instructions that will heal Naaman. But we might infer from his absence that there was some reticence on Elisha's part to dignify the enemy. It is both relieving and convicting to know that God will act through others if we're not totally on board. Though Elisha was not there to see that Naaman did as God commanded, Naaman's own servants, who were likely not Israelites, were there to encourage him forward. When God's people dig in their heels, God is not above working around us, but that comes at a cost. We miss the outpouring of love and the realization of the kingdom of God when we refuse to cross those borders. We don't read this part of the story, but Naaman's life was changed. Changed drastically as a result of this encounter. Elisha didn't get to experience the joy of that change. Now, in our worst moments, we would count that no great loss. Who wants to see an enemy experience the love of God? But that's exactly the type of attitude that God is trying to work out of us. When we do not have compassion for our enemy, change has to come from somewhere else. We are withholding the love that could make a difference, not only in their lives, but in ours as well. We are short-circuiting the body of Christ in the world. God's love is so large that it will find a way to cross borders that we refuse to cross. But we need to recognize that when that happens, we've cut ourselves out of the love that God wants to share. It's like Bob said last week, becoming a disciple isn't all sunshine and rainbows. The joy and love of knowing God flows deep and endlessly. But when we become disciples, we're learning to act how God would act. And you know that that is no small thing. 
We're learning to set aside ourselves to care for others. We're learning to love our enemies because we know God created them and loves them too. And those can be hard lessons to learn. Now, none of this means we are a doormat, that we have to accept the wrong done to us or to others. But it does mean that when we have the choice, when we retain our agency to choose, we choose love. We choose the kingdom of God. We choose to act in mercy, knowing that mercy breaks the cycle of violence. That if we turn the other cheek, the one who is our enemy might be startled out of hatred. We have to purposefully de-escalate to stop the reactionary cycle that we as humans love so much. When Jesus sends out the 70, he instructs them to bring peace to the first home that they find and then stay there. The Hebrew word for peace, shalom, actually conveys a sense of wholeness and well-being. That peace is extended whether the person or household accepts or rejects them without any prior judgment on the disciples' part. If the peace is rejected, it will return to the disciples, none the worse for wear. And all they are to do is to shake the dust off their feet and leave. Now we can read this as an angry action, and it could be, but at its core, shaking the dust from their feet is just acknowledging that they did not receive a welcome there. Their hosts did not wash their feet. Otherwise, they would have no dust to shake. And all of this contrasts to our reading last week. When Jesus and the disciples were turned out of Samaria, James and John wanted to call down fire on that town. It's so like us. As soon as we're snubbed, we want vengeance. This is the cycle that we too easily become a part of. This is the cycle that God calls us to break. So in the process of learning to cross borders with God, we won't always be welcomed. But the solution is not to burn it all down and come back convinced that we were, not right, that we were right not to leave in the first place. The solution is to leave it to God and keep crossing borders, keep loving as Jesus loved, keep reaching for hands that will reach back to us. The disciples were sent out as forerunners. Jesus was still coming behind them. And every time we cross a border, Jesus is still coming behind us. God yearns to reconcile with the whole world and as the people of God, we are called to be a force of that reconciliation within the world. But it is ultimately God, and not us, that finally eliminates all of those borders. Let's keep learning to lean into that love that God is teaching us to live. And watch for how God works in the places that we least expect.
Amen.